Hello, everyone, and welcome into Debate Night. I'm Hunter, joined virtually yet again by Brody, and we got Silas in the producer booth. We're in a little bit of a new studio. Silas, or, uh, Brody's in a new hotel room. I'm in a new studio. You know, all kinds of new stuff going on. Uh, this isn't the final form of the oh, studio. Looks like you're in. Uh, but looks like you're in. Uh, what's that? What's that ride in, in at Disney? Um, <laughs> where it's pitch black. Space Mountain. Yeah. I mean, I'm fine with that. I love Space Mountain. That's like one of my Fly favorite rides. To Space Mountain. Are you gonna put something in the top left? Corner? Yeah. Well, that's what I was saying. Is it's not. We ran into some some issues when we were putting the LEDs up today that didn't allow us to spread them out as much as we want. So okay. it's gonna be vertical and a little bit more it's gonna it's gonna look better probably by next week but for today I mean, it looks, it's it a looks lot better than better than a couple weeks ago when you looked like you were in a batman movie. yeah i was gonna say well yeah there was that and then the next week i was basically in like a doctor's waiting room so <laughs> at least at least this looks a little bit more professional but you know we'll, we're getting well, there. what what was it like three episodes ago where i was like this the entire video? yeah <laughs> Yeah, we've been all over the place, but hey, we're we're settling we're in. We're figuring it out. In. We're making improvements we're now. Out. Yeah, slow and steady wins the race. As long as you're improving, oh, you know. It, yeah. Whenever we just settle, then that's when the show's going to go to crap. Uh, that is true. But yeah, so let's uh, first off, Brody, I got to hear some Belton. Uh, it sounded like it sounded like from what you were saying, you changed up your putt a little bit before the tournament. <laughs> you know how I like to do it. Um, yeah, no, I mean I'm always. I'm I, there's so many things I have to continue to work on and to, to continue to get better at. And unfortunately these are things that sometimes come up the week before a tournament. And, you know, I'm not in a position of where it's like, Oh, well I'm just going to keep doing what I'm doing and do the best I can with what I got. And then in the off season, I'll work on that stuff. Like, I, I'm in a position where I, I have a very short window of being competitive. And so I need to sometimes go into a tournament being like, all right, I'm putting I'm putting this stuff to the test to see can I can I do it under pressure? And mm. like one of those things was putting because I notice my 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 step putt has been great. I've I love my step putt, but the step putt's not really ideal from like past 45 feet when it's windy. Yeah. When it's not windy, when it's not windy, I can step putt from 55, 60 feet, whatever. Um, I don't feel like I'm that accurate though with it. So I was watching footage and Ricky was just pouring in these putts and it was pretty windy conditions. And I just noticed how much more of like, he was using his lever, you know, mm. that being his arm. And so I was like messing around with that. And you can see it in the video too, that we filmed with Ezra. It was working really, really well. Now, the thing I didn't really think about was doing that kind of affected my shorter putts a little bit. And uh -huh. I kind of got out of sync with my shorter putts. And so that's why I ended up, uh, I mean, I ended up, I think I missed, I want to say I missed eight putts definitely inside of 20 feet, but I wouldn't be shocked if it was inside of 17 feet. I missed eight putts. Jeez. So, and the, I mean, you could see the first one on coverage, the first hole, I was the only, 
I was, you know, I basically was going to be the only one to birdie that hole and stepped up to like my, my 18 footer and just clanked it off the, the cage. So, um, yeah, that was tough. That was tough, but it's going to be something that obviously I just have to rep and work through. Uh, you can see, and well, maybe you can't see, I don't know if Silas can go full screen so yeah, you can see, but yeah, we can see it. in the corner, in the corner of my hotel, I've got my basket set up. I've got some towels and stuff like that hanging. I'm going to probably go get a pool noodle here in a second, but yeah, that's what um, you need. yeah, I'm just, tr I'm just trying to rep it out. Cause right now everything feels good outside of like 25 feet, mm. but inside of 25 feet, scary. <laughs> that was like, what was surprising to me is cause Trevor told me, or no, we were texting a group chat and you and Trevor talking, you said something about changing your putt. And I was like, of all the things that like you would expect in your game for you to change, your putt was like the last thing I expected you to do. Because I know you're working on the forehand. That made sense. You're always working on your backhand and stuff like that. But your putt always seemed like what you were confident in. So I was very curious as to mm -hmm. why. But, I mean, it makes sense, you know, get get a little I mean, bit more look, same same motion yeah, farther and farther back. Yeah, if you see the... Uh... If you see the video that I posted on Twitter where I missed my stepper, just was a little bit low, and then it rolled yeah. a good 55 feet away. I saw that. That 50 that 55 foot putt from there, that was the new putting stroke. Mm -hmm. So um I definitely feel like I can be more confident from that distance because it's more of a pop and I'm I'm throwing something up and then having it kind of come down into the basket where before I was just having to throw it harder. I got you. And, and that was causing some problems of where like if you, especially like if there's OB behind the basket, there's a lot of situations, but I think this putt, you know, having different putts, I think is definitely going to help me down the road. Um, it was just one of those tournaments where everything was clicking for me. And unfortunately my putter, you know, I missed a couple easy ones early and I think it kind of got in my head a little bit and it caused me to miss some more later. And then obviously when it's windy, you know, that's, that's the sure sign of like, if something is, if, if you're iffy on something and then you add in 20 mile an hour winds, yeah. you know, that's, that's a recipe for disaster there. So it was unfortunate because I don't know how, how much we want to get into like, the recap of Belton, but I felt like this tournament, because I played the first round with Paul, Ricky, and Adam. Mm -hmm. Second second round I played with Paul and Ezra. Third round I played with Gannon, who are all, you know, people that are kind of firing at the top, you know, twenty, top ten. Yeah. And this was the first time that I felt like I was throwing better mm. than everyone. And if you look at the scores, those eight strokes, cause it, cause obviously everyone, everyone's going to do it, right? Like everyone can be like, if we, if we want to talk about, I know you have open versus wooded courses as the title here. So I'm assuming we're going to probably go into this a little bit, but yeah. like hole 13 was kind of just a, an absolute fluke show of a hole. And so I could easily be like, oh, well, I played that hole over par and had I not thrown this shot and didn't do like everyone's going to make excuses and be like, well, if I didn't go out of bounds here, if I didn't do this, I would have gotten a top 10. When it comes to like 15 footers, 
like those should be things that should be automatic. Yeah. So that's where to me, it's easy for me after this tournament. Obviously, I still made a lot of mistakes throwing and there's still things where I, you know, I chose the wrong disc here and there. But if I would have just been able to be confident in my putt and just make those, I'm not even talking about making like, you know, the 35 footers that I missed. I'm just talking about making the 15 footers. If I would have made all those eight 15 footers, I'm, I mean, I'm in the mix. Yeah. So that's where it's like, I, I see the improvement from the throwing side. Um, now I just kind of have to keep grinding out the putting side and eventually the two will happen and go off at once and we'll see where, we'll see where I'm at. I mean, makes, makes sense. But I, I also got to ask too, because like last week we were talking about Belton heading into it. We we're talking about like it, why it was a silver series type thing. And you had mentioned that like the location you thought might've had something to do with it. But then on the phone call later, you said that like it was super well attended, ton of spectators and stuff like that. Uh, do you? This think, did not feel like a silver series. That's what I was okay. gonna say. Do you think this is a tournament that maybe in the next year or two will become a pro tour event? I mean, what is the difference between a silver series and an elite series? Like in my head, a silver series event feels, and we've talked about this a little bit, and maybe this is the direction that the tour wants to go eventually with this. But in my head, it feels like the silver series should be something where guys that are 20 to like 70 right or like not even 70 20 mm -hmm. to 100 in the world yeah you know those are the events that those players are going to and someone can get a sneaky win right yeah yeah um and all the top guys are just like we're not really playing in that and you'll see that you'll see that in other kind of uh individual sports too where like there are some events that aren't really premier events and so the top people don't show up Outside of like Eagle, Garrett Gerthy got food poisoning, so he had a drop. Mm. Um, I don't think Scott Withers wasn't there. He's a top 20 guy. Uh, I'm trying to think. I don't, I, I don't know outside of those three. I mean, I could be wrong. I could be missing a couple people. But it didn't feel like last year's Silver Series, right? Like last year's Silver Series, and maybe, maybe this is just because it's the Texas swing, right? And we're right now in between Waco and Tyler. And so it's like, what else would these people be doing? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like, what are they going to do? Fly home for a week and then fly right back to Texas. So we'll see how it goes. We have music city open right after, um, right after, uh, what are we about to do? Texas, Texas States. States. What the yeah. heck? Sorry. Today's round was nuts. We can go into that later, but after Texas States, we, we got music city open and we'll see. We'll see how highly attended that one is. But, I mean, this literally didn't feel much different than Waco. If anything, it felt like the course. Because Waco's, obviously, Waco played difficult because of the wind. But it's not that long of a course. There's not too many uh, crazy, like, demanding, like, bombs off the tee that you're having to, like, strategically land anywhere. Mm-hmm. I mean, this felt like this felt like a big tournament. So, yeah, yeah. yeah I was just I was just curious now on the other side, uh, other side of that because I knew like the field and everything was going to be pro tour elite series caliber, but I didn't know with the spectators showing up the way they did if if that adjusted to it. 
Um, but yeah, let's transition to Texas State because I think yeah. that we'll have a little bit of this discussion. But first, I just want to hear your opinion now that you've played the course because Trevor and I were in Texas last week and we got to play the course. Um, so this for once, like for the pro tour this year, I actually have like recent memory of all the holes, yeah. which it makes it a lot more exciting for me personally. Um, but I've also seen some different takes online about the course and the change. So I'd like to hear your opinion now that you've had some practice rounds on it and what you think of the change from dogwood to this like safari layout. Yeah. I mean, obviously dogwood was, uh, was a course that I actually loved playing. Um, a popular opinion is I don't like wooded golf and I'm not good in the woods, but I actually think I'm decent in the woods. Uh, I, I definitely have improved my straight backhand throws, which is obviously a shot that you really need in the woods, Mm -hmm. but I feel like I can compete with anyone as far as scrambling ability. Yeah. Um, with my, with my ultimate background, I feel like that is where I have my most advantage is I'm comfortable throwing the disc on all different types of level, uh, angles, all different types of positions of, uh, where my body different release points. Um, and I feel like I'm pretty creative in the woods when it comes to scrambling. So I actually like my chances when you do play a course that requires you to have to scramble a little bit. So I was very excited to come back and play dogwood again. Um, I definitely was a little disappointed to hear that we weren't going to play dogwood and we were only going to play four holes, um, from the course. Mm -hmm. But after looking at the layout, and playing it, it's a good course. Yeah. It's a really, really good course. And I think the Disc Golf Pro Tour uh, isn't the only one. Like, I don't think they're the say-all, be-all when it comes to courses. I think they do have input, and they can give suggestions. But at the end of the day, it is a tournament, direct- tournament director's decision on yeah. what – the course is going to do. And also this was an NT last year. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I think there is some sort of situation of where like the disc golf pro tour basically has to play all these NTs again this year, I think is how it works. Um, in the future, I think that's where it's like up in the air on what's going to happen with this tournament and other tournaments that were NTs. But at the end of the day, like, this is a really, really solid course. And I think the people spectators, the fans on the ground, and I think the the viewers at home are going to enjoy it. And I think it's going to be very challenging to the players. It doesn't look like we're going to have too much of an issue with weather the first two days, but the, the final day looks like the weather is the wind's going to pick up a little bit here, but I like it. I, I think it's a, it's an actual challenging course which if i get to a hole and i can see that all right if i execute i can birdie if i play it all right i can par if i play it poorly i I can take bogey or higher there's a lot of holes on this course that are like that and so to me that's a win yeah i mean that's something that trevor and i noticed when we played um and one the only knock that we had against it was i think something that y'all probably won't even notice because uh, the video of us playing will come out on Thursday of us playing out there. And when we played, the course wasn't like fully set up by the Pro Tour. The Pro Tour had some 
form of staff there the week early, which I thought was kind of cool to see. They did have a trailer and a truck and stuff there, so I don't know what exactly they were doing a full week early. The course, but, the course um, was almost completely set up on Monday. Yeah, so the course was in when, all when the I right positions. When I played it on Monday, it was almost completely set up. Yeah, because we played it on we played it on Friday, and it was in all the right positions, but it was a safari course, so the other courses were still in at the time. So the baskets they hadn't still been. Still, do have some baskets. Yeah, okay, they still need to take out some yeah, of the baskets. That was the only thing was that, that felt weird. Confusing to you? Is that what you're saying? It was confusing at what well, basket you were going as to. As someone who had never played the course, if I didn't have U disc, I'd have been completely lost because Correct. playing Correct. like. But it took us a little bit. But it was more so just like there were some holes. Like one, I'm sure they took this one out. It's a long downhill to the right par three. I think they said it's like maybe close to 500 feet. It plays up near the parking lot, goes down into the, the woods and to the right. Uh, it was a cedar hole playing to another cedar hole, and the basket's right in the line, the original basket. I'm You're sure talking about hole two? Three. Hole three. Hole two is a par four. Oh, oh sorry. Yeah, hole three. The hole forehand. Three. Yeah, Very down the hill. Forehand hole. Yeah. Yeah, when we played, oh, yeah, the basket there, was still no in. Basket. Yeah, so like when we played, the basket was still in, like in the line and stuff like that. So it made it very obvious it was safari course but mm. so trevor like that was so trevor's like i don't know it just doesn't feel right i was like but trevor think if these baskets were gone what would you think of the yeah. course and he's like as he thought through he's like this is this is being incredible course he's like it's the only issue we ran into where the baskets were in there um and so that's when i was like thinking through but then i saw this take on twitter uh it was from holly finley and i'm assuming this is regarding this tournament because of the timing of it. It was sent six days ago. It said, I'm tired of people complaining about wooded fairways and tight courses and strong-arming folks into removing, removing trees or removing courses slash events from the tour schedule. Stop hating on tight courses. Now, from my understanding, I could be wrong here, but I feel like the reason that... Uh, I feel like the reason this change was made wasn't necessarily just because people don't like tight courses, but because of spectators, the viewership capabilities of live coverage, and needing to make the courses, I don't want to say harder, but in a, in a way more difficult, where there's more scoring separation on holes. Because Dogwood was hard, but if you're hitting your lines, I didn't difficult feel like there was a fair, lot. Difficult though, I think yeah. is key. Correct, correct. That's a good way to put it. Yeah, I think that's... I From... From the talks with the the people on tour, the thing that the majority of players they don't enjoy is when they get to a hole and they feel like they don't have complete control yeah. over what's going to happen. Yeah. And so when you throw a shot and it feels like a good shot and then it gets punished and someone else throws a shot and it's not a good shot and it gets rewarded, that that you know, obviously there is always an element of luck involved in disc golf, right? Mm -hmm. Whether a disc rolls, skips and bounds or stays, uh, rolls OB or, you know, whether your putt hits the cage and lays flat or picks up and rolls 40 feet. There's, there's obviously an element of luck, but no one on tour is like there, there needs to be a standard fairway length. Like width, width, because yeah. no one on tour is accurate enough to be able to consistently throw a shot that like is cutting through multiple trees. Um, for example, a good hole that we just saw 
at Belton was like hole three. Hole three didn't really have a great line to the basket. Mm. Like there was never, if you stood at the basket and looked back up, you're like, yeah, I mean, I, I guess I can see like areas of where like a disc could come in. Yeah. But there wasn't a consistent path fairway of where disc could be like, if you throw it here on this angle, it's going to get to the basket every time. Yeah. So that's where it's like, to me, when I step up to a wooded hole and I'm sure like when you guys played dogwood, you probably saw some of this of where there wasn't, you know, if there's not a gap, a consistent gap that goes down the yeah. whole way to me, like, I just don't think that's a good hole. I don't think it's a good hole when you have, you know, a 200 foot fairway, let's say, and it's a gap of 10 feet. And then like at the end, there's just a tree right in the middle. Yep. Yep. Like, I don't think that's a good hole no. because now obviously from like tournament tournament directors and stuff, they could look at that and be like, Oh, well, if we took that tree out, this hole gets a lot easier. Well, it gets only easier for the people that actually throw a good shot. Mm -hmm. I think that's what's key is we want to see people that throw good shots get rewarded. And we want to see people that throw bad shots not get rewarded. Yeah, and you don't want and, scoring separation be fully because of luck. Because a hole like that might have some great scoring separation because there might be a tree where, like, it's right in the middle and there's not a great gap. And so, yeah, you might have people taking twos and people taking fours and stuff like that. But you want scoring separation to not be fully reliant on what kick you got, but instead be reliant on people who execute, get to gain strokes on the on the field. And I feel like that is what this combo safari course has done. There's still plenty of danger, as you'll see one of us in the video. We found plenty of danger on this course. Mm -hmm. uh, there's still plenty of danger to get into, and there's still a lot of demanding shots. Even though you're in a somewhat more open setting, there's enough trees and stuff around that it, it, it makes you still commit and hit lines and have discs achieve certain angles, but it's fair to where I don't remember there being a hole where I stepped up and I was like, oh, well, this is just a complete crapshoot of like some people are going to get lucky and some people aren't. There is one hole that sticks out that is like that. Which one? And it's um, the last wooded hole, which is hole three on Dogwood. And I believe hole five. Oh, one, is it one of, two, the, uh, three, one of the tighter, tighter par threes? No, it's a par four dog leg left. It's like a tunnel. It's it's the last wooded hole. I'd have to think for back through it. Um, so it's right after it's right after the one that's like a forehand hyzer, uh, raptor to the right, like three hundred feet. Yeah. And there's like a bunch of trees, but there's a bunch of ob too, like creeks and stuff. Yeah. So you gotta like throw oh, that. Oh, yep. They put it in yep, an yep, elevated yep, basket. Yep, yep. It's the next one where there's that there OB just right before you get to where the short basket is. Uh, it's like this little creek that runs through on the yes. par four. So you're kind of throwing that, a blind that I think I, I like the initial tunnel shot, but I think they could continue that fairway, like that hyzer pushing like mid-range fairway that the tunnel shot kind of does right now. Yeah. I think if they continued that all the way to the creek, let's say 20 feet wide, take take out all the trees 20 feet wide in that path. So then again, it's one of those things of where right now we're all basically just trying to get it through that initial tunnel. 
and then whatever happens after that, we'll figure it out. Right. Yeah. Yep. But like some shots will, will go through the tunnel and like end up all the way in the Creek. And then you have like a tough scramble shot and then other shots will go through the tunnel and then like hit a tree. And then they have like a really hard scramble shot, yep. even though like, I love that whole, I, I don't want to take out any more trees on the other side of the Creek because I love that whole being like, you have to be very creative with how to get that disc because it's really like a forehand turnover shot, mm. uh, which is something that you don't really, we don't really have too many shots like that on tour. So I love that, but that that's a hole. I think that's the only hole in the entire course that feels like someone could get a bad break yeah. by like hitting a tree or having their disc right in the middle of like an awkward, whatever stance. But other than that, I think that's the big issue. And I think, you know, with Holly, I think there are, obviously there are people on tour that specialize in wood golf and others that specialize in open golf. Yeah. And then there's people that are like the hybrids and they can play wherever, mm-hmm. right? You're not going to see anyone complain that's in the hybrids category ever. They're not really ever going they're never going to complain unless it's an unfair hole. The open people that love to just bomb it and throw hyzers, they're going to complain when a course is too wooded. Mm-hmm. And the people that like to play in the woods and can't really throw that far, they're going to play complain when we're playing on golf courses. Yeah. And to me, it's like I think disc golf needs to have both. And obviously there's that's going to be where it's tricky is like how, how is the disc golf pro tour going to continue to innovate and continue to figure out ways to have a successful event in the woods? Yeah. Because that's going to be, that's the hardest part right now is do you want to have a course that is an incredible wooded course, but you can only have 5,000 spectators, Mm -hmm. but then, at these open courses, you can have 15,000 spectators. So that's where it's like, that's where it's tricky. Yeah. Now, do you think that that's a decision? How much of the play, I guess you could say, should be sacrificed for spectators and viewership, if that makes sense? So I think Belton, and this is kind of what we, we initially kind of talked about, where you have wooded holes, but you like basically shave out one side of the the rough right and you clean it out and so that way like spectators can stand far enough back but they can see into the wooded hole yeah so they're not right off the fairway but they can still enjoy wooded golf correct so like that was i mean hole 13 was is a terrible hole the way it's set up right now at belton but they did that at on hole 13 and it was incredible so as a spectator, I can stand in the in the big open green grass and I can look through a couple trees. It's not that many. They cleaned out all the brush and I can literally watch players tee off, see the disc fly. Now, obviously, I'm not standing behind, so it's I'm losing kind of the the flight of the disc. Yeah, but I can at least still watch it travel down the, the fairway and then, you know, see them scramble and play the rest of the hole. So I think that is what like the future of wooded golf looks like is, you know, think about like new London and obviously 
I'm sure most people listening have watched our videos at New London, so you kind of have an idea of what that course looks like. Mm-hmm. I think on one some of those wooded holes, they have like a walking path, right? Yeah. Near near the hole. Yeah. If you extended the walking path like another 10 to 15 feet wide, and then on that side of the walking path, you just cleared out all the brush and you like kind of trim down some of the trees and stuff. So it's still wooded over there if you get over into the left side of the rough. But as a spectator, I can stand uh, safely off the fairway and I can still continue to watch those holes. I think I think that's the future. You can't just have a thousand people standing behind tee boxes. Yeah, it doesn't. It's not going to work. Well, it's so. like it, it like it worlds in at Northwoods Gold. I forget. I think that was like 2019, 20, 2019 worlds. I think it it was a little bit of a nightmare just because there were so many. I don't even. I don't know how many people I'm talking about when I say so many people, but there was a lot of us in the gallery. And when you got to certain holes, the only way to watch was from behind. And if you're mm-hmm. not in the front two rows, you're not seeing anything anyways. So, like, spectating in person, you're, like, four rows deep back there. And, yeah, you get to be behind the shot. Great. But if you can't see the shot, you know, it kind of sucks. But I just don't know, like, because there is something to be said of, like, the easiest way to add difficulty without being gimmicky in disc golf is wooded golf. You know, yes. where, where you do add, you have to force players to throw creative shots and stuff like that. So I don't know where the line is, and I'm glad I'm not the person that has to decide that. I'm glad it's the Pro Tour, not me, that has to decide of where the line of like enough technicality that players are challenged in that way without it being gimmicky, but mm-hmm. still leaves enough room for spectator passes, good coverage as far as like the live coverage goes, even for post-produced, you know, lines that are visible enough that it doesn't get confusing when someone throws a shot, and then it just kind of, you know, you get disoriented in the fairway. Uh, I think there's a fine line. I think that was a question that a lot of people were bringing up is like, you know, at, at how much your players, how much should play style be sacrificed for that? And that's a question that I don't, I don't fully know the answer to. I don't know where the line's drawn of like full monetization. We want as many spectators as possible versus we want as difficult and entertaining as a tournament as possible. So funny story from, uh, from the tournament, hole three, Paul has a putt outside a circle, I believe for birdie and he ends up running it. And I, I don't know. I can't remember if he air, if he air mails it or if it skips off the top of the basket. Um, but it, it hits the camera guy. It, it hits his tripod or whatever. Who's like right behind the basket filming and basically keeps Paul's putt from going OB. Mm-hmm. Right. And me and Ricky were standing next to each other and I was like, oh, there's there's the Tiger Woods effect. <laughs> and and I was just watching last night, 2018 Worlds, I think it was. And on one of the holes, I think it's the par four that's like um it's at Fox Run, I think. It's the really, really hard par four where it's like you're throwing through a tunnel and good shots get to like the very end of the mouth of the tunnel and then the next shot like you're out in the open and the basket's like on a little pier- not pyramid but like on a little base structure oh. it's towards the end of the round yeah and and they just had spectators all along the left side of that fairway and Paul's shot was he released it on too much hyzer and it was just going like not OB because there's no OB there but it was it was going to probably skip or fly into the rough and, and basically give himself not a chance to birdie that hole. 
but there's like, you know, two rows of people and, uh, he just drills someone like in the back or the hip or whatever. And it just rolls into the middle of the fairway. And it's like, oh man, there again, Tiger Woods effect. And for those that don't know what I'm talking about, Tiger Woods effect, obviously Tiger Woods, whenever he played golf, he would have massive fans watch him. Mm-hmm. And so when you, when he, when he plays holes, he would almost sometimes wish the ball to be more offline because he could potentially basically hit uh, a spectator and kind of bounce him back into play a little bit. And, you know, it's, there's a drastic change. If you've ever gone to a PGA tour event or, or a disc golf event for that matter, if you go out and watch the, the, the group that tees off at nine 30 in the morning at a disc golf tournament versus the feature card, like there's no one out there at the nine, like no one's, no one's in the fairway at nine 30, yeah. nine 30 tee time. So like if your shot's going OB, you're sh- no, no one's, no one's there to protect it. There's no chance. But like yeah. the feature card. Yeah. You got people with carts, you got bags, you got, so like we've all seen, you know, camera, I mean, camera's another example so like to me, that's another question as, I mean, this is kind of like a stupid, silly question, but should a camera person ever put themselves in a position where they can't get out of the way to stop? Like when it comes to putting, because obviously in golf, you always get those cameras of where it's like right behind and you get like that six shot of the ball rolling in. Yeah. Like those cameras are so far off the green and are super zoomed in. So my question is like, why do we have camera guys that are like inside the circle? Like in play. Like why? Yeah. Like why aren't those guys like 50 feet away and just zoomed in a lot? So that way there's no chance of that ever happening. Well, I mean, in, I mean, in, in some silly, scenarios, I mean, silly, stupid thing, but yeah, yeah it's no, it's definitely, it's definitely an interesting <laughs> point too. Like I, I, th- I do think that it's something that should be considered of like, there like maybe on some courses because i've seen uh trying to think of other of uh what player it was but there's been several instances where a shot is going ob or rolling past the ob and hits a player's foot or i think one hit like someone's dog like rolled into someone's dog or yeah several different things have happened to where it's either a break of really good or really bad luck for the player because sometimes it's a shot that's coming back inbounds and hits someone stays out and sometimes it's a shot that that was going out hit someone and stays in. That is true. Uh, so I do think that it might be something where on some of these courses, you need was to that have Nate, Nate Perkins playoff at Waco. Oh, when it hit someone and stayed out. Yeah. Yep. That this was going to hundred percent skip off the street and come back in bounds. And it, it just hit out. someone and stayed out. Of yeah. So that might be something. Where, well, like the street one's a little bit of an interesting scenario because they were off the OB, but like in a lot of courses, spectators can like almost be the OB line versus I think you might yes. want to make them, 10 15 20 feet off the ob line so if there is a disc that's gonna roll and have some ground action by the time it gets to the spectators not really a chance it's coming back in and if a disc is hysering in if it's low enough to hit a spectator not really a chance it's coming back in but that's stuff that i think that the pro tour just gotta feel out and figure out the best way best spots for spectators and you know stuff like that they gotta look into that because you know when there's when when gambling is involved Right. Yeah. Whenever there's a lot of money, how do we not? How do we not know that that camera guy doesn't have money? Yeah. Or that spectator. Oh, is this going out of bounds? Let me let me just get my tripod over here. 
a spectator, just a disc I'm, is coming I'm back, Heisering back in, and you got the uh, you got the over on a player, and you just give me, swat it. Give me a tumbleweed. Yeah, just chuck <laughs> it back in the woods, OB. It's nope, not today. I need you to hit three more strokes. You're not birdie in hole 18 oh, now. Man. Yeah, I mean that that'll happened, be fascinating. Uh, that happened. That happened. Crazy ultimate frisbee story. Just to kind of sidetrack us for a second. Um, so we had we were playing a team. We actually weren't in the game. Uh, we were watching two teams play, and in ultimate, the sideline, especially like back in the day, there wasn't really any sort of like separation of like where you needed to be. So if you were if you were on the sideline, if you were like not playing at the time and you were on the sideline, and you know someone is standing a foot away from the sideline trying to throw, you could realistically be really close to them just like screaming and like you know acting essentially like a fan would at a game yeah. right now obviously times have changed and they've they've now made it to where you know players and stuff have to be a couple feet off the sideline especially because now there's referees running up and down the sideline but this is this is back in the wild wild west where people were doing whatever they wanted so a play happens where this guy gets the disc and one of his teammates is just sprinting deep wide open. So it's going to be a, a, a pass to a, you know, a long pass to a goal. No problem. Yeah. And so the guy catches it, turns his head to go, you know, and sees his teammate wide open goes to, you know, goes to wind up. And one of the guys on the sideline on the other team, just like steps right in front of him, like just nonchalantly, like just walks out in the field, like literally on the field, two feet on the field, steps out in front of him, the guy like is like what and like doesn't throw it and then he just walks right back on out on the sideline <laughs> and I was I was watching this and I was like what I was like what just happened but that made me think of like spectator or you know spectators and fans all of a sudden just getting getting a little too crazy when it comes because a like, golf ball I don't think people are crazy enough to like jump and like take a golf ball to the chest yeah but. But like a, a disc, especially if it's like a putter or something thrown. Yeah. I mean, I could I could see I could see some weird stuff happening, like someone taking their hat off and chucking it at a disc. Yeah. Like what the heck are we doing then? <laughs> I don't know. What happens? I don't know because like normally the saying, there's rules for like if something's interfered after it's landed, but if like it's mid-flight, like yeah, spectators got to be part of the course, right? Yeah, they are because if yeah, you hit was, them and stay uh, ob, they, they it's ob. I, I came up with this idea too after we played hole three at Belton to Ezra. It, it got a little chuckle, so we'll see what you think of it. Oh, Silas, I want to know what you think of this idea too. Now, obviously, a topic is like, how do we make disc golf harder, right? We mm -hmm. need to try to make disc golf harder. I have a solution. Oh, boy. Okay. You ready for it? Let's hear it. We just, right before someone's about to throw, about like 25 to 50 feet off the tee pad. We just release doves. And, and you throw through and, doves? What? We just release, like, you know, like from the from a box. You've seen it. Like, people take doves out and they just open the box and the doves just all fly out. We just release doves right before people tee off. And and we just play it, play it as it goes. And I that's, love it. that would make disc golf a lot harder. 100%. Why? I, I agree with you, Brody. Okay. How did you come up with that idea? Like what 
Did you see a dove on the course? Like what? What on earth made no. you go? Oh, box of doves. Just open it and have to throw through them. That'd be way more hard. Why not just like pyrotechnics? I mean, we, yeah, just like, fireworks. Just fireworks. Or there something. we go. Bottle rockets. Yeah. Well, when fans we, get a when show. We go to the, uh, when we go to the OTB Open, we have to deal with uh, all those geese. Uh-huh. That's that's a nightmare. Like people are just throwing rollers down and just like crossing their fingers that they don't just drill a geese in the side. And it's like twofold because initially, one, you're pissed because you're like, crap, like I just lost so much distance. And then immediately you go into like, oh my God, is that geese okay? Like, yeah. did I just kill that that goose? <laughs> well, the same thing would happen with the dove, except for these courses. Like, you just see like, you just see like gooses, geese, like just limping around the course and you're like oh man that guy got hit earlier <laughs> i mean that's just that's just part of the game at this point i guess can't really do much i will say i mean if you want to make disc golf harder we played uh we had two bogey bro battles in dallas area one's coming out today connor said it's exporting right now so it'll be up later tonight um wait which one is that the woods at trinity against the easy three guys Heck That's yeah. coming out today. Can't wait. And then next week is going to be at Harry Myers, the one we did at Harry Myers, a little bit outside in Rockwall, Texas. Um, but your course that the group. So we had about twenty to thirty spectators, I would say, at both battles. The second bat, this first group, super reserved, quiet. They were very nice. Like they talked to us in between holes and stuff. But like while we were throwing, were they mostly easy three people? No, no. There was a few. But uh, there's several just foundation fans that pop that came out, um, so they weren't oh, like nice. razzing us or anything like that. So that that was just like a normal round of disc golf, you know, fun fun time. Harry Myers course though, the people took on the the full responsibility and embodiment of razzing us or uh, whatever you want to say. So when we stepped up to the first tee, I had people like t- trying to carry on a conversation with me mid run up. I think one guy was like, "Hey Hunter," <laughs> and I like was running up, so I was like, "Yeah." He said, good luck. And I said, thanks. And I threw it. Went great. But as the round went on, every time we went down to putt, sometimes we were getting yelled or sneezing in the, as soon as we were like going to release. And other times, nothing, oh. would, nothing would happen. So like you're going down for a putt. And in the oh. back of your head, you're like, are they about to yell? So like, what are your thoughts on else. that? I mean, it was very, it was, I, I want to say irritating because like that was what we asked them to do. But if I was in a tournament and it meant something, it would have been very irritating. I would have been very frustrated but if it's something okay. that's like a i mean if you, continuous if you ask thing, for it then yeah. it is what it is you no we complain. asked for it we asked for it because we wanted it to be like i think it makes the video more entertaining but i was thinking like okay. you were saying making disc golf harder i was like that made that round a lot harder for us in general mm. i like that's a way that you you could make disc golf harder but i don't think pros would like it i don't think pros could handle it because like well, if I was not, playing let's with let's not get back into that Ella Hansen tweet. Well, I was so just saying just, just... if I could play with a lot of, if I was playing with a lot of money on the line, I wouldn't have enjoyed it nearly as much as I did just playing for YouTube. Yeah. It was a lot more did fun see, in that in that case. Did you did you see the tennis player that got pissed off at, at someone ben Stiller. yelling at them? Was it wasn't it at Ben Stiller? Was it that guy where he was like I don't tell you how to well, act? The, well, Ben Stiller wasn't the one yelling at him, but he used Ben Stiller as as an example of like someone else yelled at something at him. He asked, "Are you good at tennis?" and he said, "No." And then he said he said something like, "Why would I take advice from you?" or something like that along those lines. Yeah, I did see that. And then and then yeah, and then he posted 
And then he pointed at Ben Stiller or whatever and said, like, I don't tell him how to act kind of thing. <laughs> right. He used Ben Stiller in that way. Yeah. But like you could see like tons of people were trashing him because, again, like it wasn't during the point And like what? You just don't want fans to be involved at all. So like that wasn't a great look on him. And a couple couple other. OK, well, I just got sidetracked. Are these hats available yet? They're dropping. They're dropping today with the video. So tonight, oh, whenever after yeah. it exports, so probably in like probably two hours, pretty late okay. tonight when the video drops, we'll release the hats. These as hats well. are okay. Heck yeah. Um, and then another cool story. I was at the gym yesterday, and I met. It might not have been the first person ever, but it was definitely the first person to ever show me that they had a foundation wristband. Heck yeah. I met, there was a guy at our Patreon meetup that had two or three on his wrist. Yeah. That was the first person that ever like was like, yo, look, I got a foundation wristband. That's awesome. So I don't, yeah, I thought that was pretty sweet. That's awesome. They're still on the site. If you want them, I wear one every day. He's helping out the, uh, he's helping out the tournament too, which is cool. Oh. I saw him this morning. Sweet. Yeah. Sweet. He was like moving flags and stuff. <laughs> Dark horse in it. There you go. That's just what foundation nation does, you know, moves yeah. flags and stuff. Great people. Do. Great people. All right, let's hop in. We got a few uh, voice memos I have queued up. I actually have these queued up from a few weeks ago still. So, I mean, mm. there's no telling what we're about to hear. But isn't it more fun that way? Uh, I guess I, I'll I'll leave it on this because, I mean, obviously this is this is called debate night. Yes. So I will say, like, if any pros want to come on next week, heck, I'll even if, – if you're going to be at Music – if you're going to be at Music City Open – you can even like, we'll, we'll figure out, you know, come over to my hotel or whatever. And we'll, we'll have you on live, whatever. But if any pros want to come on and like debate why th these courses should be on or not, because obviously we are starting to see more pr pros be outspoken and speak up on things, which I think is awesome. Um, but you also need to be okay with other people disagreeing with you. Yes. And so to me, it's like, the pros that are complaining about Dogwood not being here. The only this is the only thing I will say though that is kind of crappy is if I was a wooded person, right? Mm -hmm. I'm a wooded golf person, and I know that I can only compete at wooded courses, and I specifically pick out my schedule for those tournaments, and I didn't get enough ahead like notice ahead of time, like hey, the course is gonna be different this year. I would be pissed off as well. Yeah. And so there are people that are pissed about that. And I a hundred percent agree with you is I would be pissed as well. If I didn't like, if I'm signing up for these tournaments and I'm planning my schedule around this course, I know I do well on this course. I know I do well on. And then all of a sudden I show up and they're like, yeah, this isn't going to be on the golf course anymore. This is going to be over in this park with all these trees and stuff that would, that would, I would be pissed about that. So I'm, I'm on them with that, but I'm against them in the sense of like saying that like dog was, is an ex, uh, you know, a superior course and this new course sucks. Like I'll, I'll debate that all day. Cause I think this new course is really, really challenging and really, really awesome. Yeah. So I fully yeah. agree with that. Uh, when you said Parker reminded me, have you ever played Autobahn in the Dallas yes. area? Great. One of my favorite that courses in Dallas. Yeah, that was a ton of fun. We went and played that as our final course before we came home. I'd never heard of if it. You it, play awesome. it. If you play it like with the correct pars, not because they have a lot no, of it was par like pars on there. If you play it as, as the correct yeah. pars, it's a very difficult course. 
Oh, yeah. I think the par on U-Disc was 57, I believe, which felt about right. We didn't get to play all of them. Yeah, three. there's only three par fours. Yeah. All right. You ready for this, Silas? You ready tough, for my... It's a tough course. Yeah, I'm go ready. ahead. Sorry. No, yeah, it's a really good course. All right, we're going with uh, Darian Bevan. We'll see what... Wait, Silas, is anyone saying anything in the chat real quick? Uh, Before we go... People are in. talking about Eagle right now in the chat. Okay, yeah, me and Hunter, we were talking about this earlier. Do we? Does anyone have any idea what's going on? I haven't Someone listened. Someone said he to has podcast. a torn labrum. That's what I have in my left shoulder. It means he's not going to have much range of motion uh, going back, which is really bad for forehands. Very bad for forehands. Uh, you do technically need. It's essentially if you want to put it into modern day or like stuff that people understand more. A torn labrum at a young age is very similar to a torn rotator cuff at an older age. Um, and it, it typically happens from a dislocated shoulder. And then what they say is like the chance of re-injury with a dislocated shoulder is essentially a hundred minus your current age. So when I dislocated mine, I was 17. So that put me at an 87% chance of re-dislocating it. So Eagles at 23, I believe. So that would put them at a 77% chance of re-injury without, you know, fixing, um, assuming that was from a dislocated shoulder. But uh, yeah, torn labrum, not not great. You can build up all the muscles around it in your shoulder, bicep, and tricep, and those will kind of help correct and keep your shoulder and the you know uh, in place and keep it secure. But range of motion, is something that it's just it gets uncomfortable because I'm six years out of my injury, and my range of motion is like not even half as good as my right shoulder, and it's something that I went through physical therapy for months with. And it's just something where, like, when I get here, it gets tight. If my arm was pushed beyond this, my shoulder would pop right back out right now. Uh, so not a great Dang. result on that. I don't know. I mean, it can be partially torn to where it's nowhere near as bad. Um, Whoa, but I, I don't I don't know. I haven't actually seen where his results of his MRI were posted or if it's, like, a Ultra World exclusive on that on their thing. But, yeah. Um, yeah, a torn well, labrum. I will, that's I not, will uh, be ice bathing tonight. That's for sure. Yeah, a torn labrum. Again, it depends a lot on how severely torn it is as to how, you know, in-depth the recovery what he process. Needs to do, what he needs to do. Yeah, because mine, the recovery process is a long time. The whole reason I personally didn't get surgery was because it was before my senior year of basketball, and this is where it would affect Eagle. If I would have gotten surgery to repair my torn labrum, I would have missed my entire senior year of basketball, and my injury happened in July and you would have to rehab a little bit before the surgery. My surgery was going to happen in August, and I wouldn't have been back, be able to play basketball until I believe it was it's, February or March. Yeah, I mean that. I mean, obviously, the situation you were in though is a little bit different, right? Yes. Because yes. what, what, like, were you? It, it'd be different if you were like, oh, I have D one offers lined up. Yeah, and you were you were risking potentially like no, hurting mine, yourself more. Yeah. Mine was basically, I decided not to because I had one year of basketball left and it was like, if yeah, I re-injure it, my out. season's over. If I do the surgery, I never get to play a season. I'd rather just play as many games as I can and let it pop out when it pops out. And fortunately for me, it never popped back out. But with Eagle, it's on his throwing arm. So a forehand, it, it makes a lot more sense why he's unable to throw full power forehands. If you, and again, I think that the the surgery question 
it's going to have a lot to do with how torn his labrum is, and it's just a decision of longevity, whichever one, I guess, the doctor suggests of, like, you'll be able to play longer if you get surgery versus if you don't or something like that, or the chance of re-injury as well has to be factored in. Yeah, people yeah. are saying that he uh, he's looking into stem cell treatment. So whatever that if is. I, if I could give him any advice, it would be to not get caught up because it's it's very easy to to get caught up in like thinking like oh man like i can't sit out a, a whole year and not play like i yeah. can't do that like he's so young though and has such a, a future ahead of him that si if sitting out and rehabbing and doing all the necessary things to make sure that he you know he comes back and he's 100 percent healthy and nothing nothing can kind of alter his future in disc golf. I, I say do that 1000%. Yeah. I think if there is a chance of him playing this year and if that's going to cause for it to be way worse injury for the rest of his career, it's, it's a hundred percent not worth it. Um, if I could go back in time, that's, that's a hundred percent what I would do. Yeah, no, for sure. It's definitely uh, an interesting situation. I, I could have swore he got an MRI earlier. I'm just surprised we're like just now kind of hearing what the full scope of his shoulder injury was or is. Yes, someone said it's partially torn. So partially torn. Away. So partially torn, you know, that's where there's a lot more decisions to be made because like then you know you if depending on how torn it might be something where you can build that mobility back up and you can just get more fle like flexibility training and stuff like that and build mm -hmm. the strength around it but again it's something where it's going to take a lot of rest and at, with any injury unless you're in a unique situation where it's like you know the the rehab's not going to gain me as much as me just going for it right now which eagles not then take as much time off as you need to make sure that when you come back, you're at a hundred percent because it's going to be better to take a year off and be at a hundred percent a year from now than to play mm -hmm. five years at 60% and never, and always just be frustrated because you were never able to play where you expected yourself to be able to. And you're never able to put yourself in contention where it's like, if you were just taking that year off, gotten the treatment, whether it is the stem cell or surgery, or if it's just rest and rehab, you know, if that takes a full year and you miss the disc and like he misses a disc golf season, but he's able to come back a hundred percent in 2023. I mean, that's, that's kind of a no brainer on that side. It's just a hard decision to make when you're in the moment. Yeah, definitely. Uh, anything else from the, the chat right now, Silas, or should I go over to some voice box things? Let's do some, let's do let's some voice. All right. While we're doing these voice ones, uh, we'll do a few, be sure to be putting your debate topics and a good reason as to why you think, that way um in the chat so that silas can pull those up yeah. when we get done with and two or three of these if you would tag foundation podcast in the post so we know it's a debate topic boom that makes life a lot easier on silas's end and so we'll start it off with uh darian bevan here if it'll play all right we're gonna try cody Aren't these great? They're fantastic. Insane debate. These are topics. very good conversation starters. Right, I'm going to refresh the page here. <laughs> All right. We'll try again. We're going back to Darian. 
So my debate topic is, despite what we hear on coverage when people are referencing the best round ever played, people often refer to Paul Macbeth's um, 18 down round as the perfect round. And my argument is there's still never been a perfect round because Paul Macbeth at each of those rounds shot a par. So that's mm-hmm. All right. Did you hear that one, Brody? Nope. Okay. So it was from Derry and he said- You heard it? Yes. I could hear it. He must not be coming through to you. Uh, Darian, you, did, did, the, did the people listening hear it? Hold on, Brody. I got happened. you. Surely if I heard it, they heard it. Right, Silas? All right. Yeah, no, the people heard it. The people it. heard Brody it. Brody didn't hear it. So Darian's That's, argument. It should be fixed now. Darian's argument was that he said that the greatest round ever played uh, is kind of undisputed being Paul's 18 down at D-Glow. But he said that the perfect round of disc golf hasn't been played because both time that Paul has shot 18 under and I believe the one time Dickerson shot 19 under, that's a whole different conversation. But the both times that Paul shot 18 under, he had pars. So Darian's argument is that the true perfect round of disc golf would be a round where there is no pars. Well, and also no bogeys. That's a that's an important caveat there. Because I've had plenty of rounds with no pars. <laughs> that's actually that was always a fun thing in golf, is like if you can have 18 pars, really hard to do. Yeah. Really hard to do. So what do you think? Um, does a perfect round, does 18 under count as a perfect round? Or do you think there's got to be, it's got to be all birdies, no pars allowed? Yeah, I would assume so, right? Like, I mean, I really, I really don't care. Yeah, it, it's not, it doesn't really, it, it's not a debate topic that matters. <laughs> it's, it's just an interesting it's, thought. It's not really, I think it's a silly, it's, it's a silly thing that, to chat about and talk about, but, um, yeah, I mean, I would say if I was going and playing, you know, Dash's track, a course that you guys just played, one of my yep. favorite courses in, and, uh, one of my favorite courses in Dallas, if I went and played that whole course and I got 16 birdies and shot 18 under, I wouldn't call it the perfect round. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and I, really, I, yeah. the the question is, when a when a perfect round be all aces? <laughs> that's even a better point. All aces and all and all eagles, basically. That's it. Yeah, that's even a better point. So, perfect round would be. As I mean, good I don't think there really shoot. is. Yeah, a perfect round is not like a real thing that people talk about ever in golf. No. Um, because well, I think it's, it's just because it's, eighteen down has happened in disc golf, so it's like this weird yeah. thing of like that's the perfect. But score. also like pars. There's so many courses where pars are wrong. Yeah, well, that's Heck, why we just played. That's why I consider 18 down at D-Glow the best round in disc golf the history. The pars were off, though. D-Glow wasn't. The pars at the Beast were. D-Glow at the Toboggan, oh. it's, the same, it's the same course as you, like, you play at D-Glow, essentially. I think they've changed well, it a little cha- bit. They've changed, they've changed a little but, bit. But, but it, wasn't, it wasn't playing soft. Waco, they didn't change much. So if, uh, 18 under with the updated pars went to 15 under. Is essentially gotcha. it was still an incredible round by all means, but it was a little bit softer versus D Glow. It, it was an incredible round, but he did he did have to, to have me, an eagle in a par. To me, I would I would think the greatest round, like if we're talking about like perfect rounds or whatever you want to call it. Yeah. To me, like that has to be on a difficult course. Yeah. That has to be on a course that people shoot over par on. So like to me that like eliminates a lot of courses, right? Yeah. So that would be like Northwoods Black. That would be mm-hmm. like uh, Winthrop. That would be. Um, 
Well, the hard part with Winthrop is they we go to it every year, but it changes every year because there's been like it 15, also does change. There's every been year, like yeah, 15 sure. downs and stuff out there, but that doesn't mean anything in today's field because you're not even playing close to the same course that the 15 down was at. So like that could be something yeah. that if everyone's playing that course, it happened every year. But it is what it is. But you know, yeah, interesting point. All right, second one here we got Cody LaFrench. See what Cody. He's got. What's going on, guys? Okay, I got a question for you. Um, is a zone or a zone like disc, like a harp or, a, I don't know, A2 or A3, uh, count as a putter? Obviously, some of them say putt and approach on them, but are you actually putting with those? Uh, and I'm talking specifically about um, a disc dice game or ripped revenge or something that forces you to throw a putter off the tee, or even if you're doing a putter-only round or challenge, right? Do those fast approach discs or speed, whatever, count as a putter? I I'm gonna pause it there. Uh mainly because I think he just repeats the point again. I'm okay, more cool. I like that. Yeah, I'm more fascinated. I think that disc golf is like in this weird state. First off, again, you can say this debate topic, why does it matter? Because like you're throwing a disc you throw you can throw some people can throw a putter 350 and some people can throw a driver 350 you both execute the same shot when it comes to ripped revenge and stuff obviously that's a whole other story Mm -hmm. but when it comes to lingo like i think it is a little bit of an important topic because i think that disc golf has over the past few years created this new uh field for discs that don't really have a name yet which are the approach discs because they're not mids they're not putters but they kind it's of fit wedges. in between. Yeah. Well, I think I think approach disc works because you had like putt and approach <laughs> before. Wedges just doesn't it sounds weird when you're talking it's about called, discs. It's called a pitching wedge. Pitching wedge. There, I mean, you could call it pitching pitching disc. First off, I think we should start calling. A pitch disc. I think we should. Start, <laughs> yeah, you gotta be careful with that one. We should definitely start calling discs golf discs in general because that makes that just sounds way cooler instead of disc golf discs or because if you just say discs. It's not descriptive enough. Disc golf discs, so many different syllables. You got to say disc twice. Just golf disc makes life easier. You, you got to stop trying to say discs because that that word discs. just that word just sounds terrible. So yeah. yeah, if you can say golf disc, I think that sounds way better. I mean, than you might discs. still have to say golf discs, but rega- regardless, it's such a hard word to say. It is. It is tough. But I think the approach is some, like the approach disc is something that mm-hmm. is where all of those fit because. I would say if you had to put a gun to my head and say mid or putter, I'd go putter right now just because I don't I don't think they quite fit a mid, but they just they don't fit either. So if you're playing ripped revenge, just use it as a putter. That's where I'm at. Let's just go short range. Short range. That works too. Short range, mid range, far range, very super far short range. and super short range for putting. And super short range. I mean, why have we ever used any other words? Just, just how that's far all you, you need. That, that won't be that wouldn't be confusing at all for a new put person. That is in. true. They would understand that completely. <laughs> that that would make way more sense too. Yeah. What are you throwing here? I'm throwing a super far range. <laughs> oh, I know exactly what that is. But then, you, then you get into the same thing as flight numbers, where then the next disc out is the extra super far range, and then you have the super fast, extra super distance far range. And, and then like, I come oh, out with a disc called the infinity range. Oh, then, and you then can't I be take topped. over and over. Yeah, it can't be topped. There we go. All right, we got Brian calling in next. 
hey, so I have no social media, but I imagine this has already yeah. been blown up on social media. But I cannot believe you guys didn't at least touch on it on debate night. How are we still not even giving our all-star commentators a at least an honorable mention for calling out an all-star player and calling him C. Dick? I was like, where is this going? Chris Dickerson. He in All Star event, they Who's... multiple times referred to Chris Dickerson as C Dick. Who did? The commentators. I will say the commentators do love saying nicknames that either I've never heard before or the players themselves like don't like as a nickname. And I think it's hilarious. Yeah, I mean I just like if you're being a professional commentator, probably good to stay away from C Dick. Yeah, just a, a good rule of thumb. I get where oh, here, co- I get where here it comes makes sense, DG but. with the big throw. It's like who's DG? Drew Gibson? What? Yeah. And then they those use it for the yeah. entire tournament coverage. Double G works well. That's okay. That one sounds well, that's, fine. That's and also it's like he calls himself that. Yeah, yeah. Like he 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 himself will like. What if they if referred you to you as Dark Horse the G, whole time? What's that? What if they just called you Dark Horse the whole time? I like mean, that'd be here weird. comes Dark Horse. What? The the it, the Dark Horse for Birdie. Here, I have heard them use that sometimes in coverage. Like, here comes the Dark Horse, and it does it does sound very weird. Because <laughs> um, Brody is already a nickname. That's not my real name. So, yeah. I already I already have a nickname. But, um, yeah, no, I think it's. I don't know. I think some of the commentators love coming up with these names and it's a very uh it's a very disc golf thing to do where it's like you hear something for the first time and then you just overuse it so much until everyone gets super annoyed about it. Kind of like the the shot from Worlds. James no, Conrad I'm, I'm shot. Never, no, I I haven't seen it enough. I need to see it more. Just watch a few live coverage events. You will you'll see I your do. your fair share of it. I'll actually watch. I'll rewatch the commercial sometimes just to get it enough. Okay, you're just not getting your fill yet. You must have like an infinite tank for. I for need that more shot. of it. <laughs> I, you'll Shoot get... it in, I I might actually do a Jorge Masvidal and get get the shot tattooed on my body. <laughs> I I wish I I don't remember what my tweet was, but it's something about like the over under for how many times I was going to be played, and I'd be fascinated what the line would actually be set at because it's got to be close to a thousand by the end of the season. You should be able to search your tweets. I think that's a thing. I think I probably easy. can. There's something. There's I don't some think way I set the. I don't think tweets. I set the over under. I just think I ask people like, "What do you think the over under is for how much time? How many times we're going to see this thing?" And I don't think anyone mm. really gave me a line, but it'd have to be close to a thousand, realistically. <laughs> like, there's no doubt in my mind, and it's gonna it's gonna make it where I never want to watch it again. But we'll take one well, final one here. Because you're at like what twenty? You get, you get it probably what twenty five to fifty times every live coverage. It feels like it, yeah. Because especially you have <laughs> FPO and MPO, and they, yeah, they use saying. the coverage it's of like both an eight hour. And then hour and then coverage. the Disc Golf Network and MVP are both using the shot in different commercials, and then both of those commercials are being played multiple times. So like when it's all said it. and done, you might have. I don't even want to know how many times I've watched that shot this year. Enough. I've watched it enough this year. We'll put it that way. All right, we have Caleb Pitcher. Uh, we'll round them out, round up the call-ins with this one. Hey, guys. Caleb from Virginia here. 
was listening to you guys talk about having different tee pads as an option for a moving day or different pin locations. What about the idea of changing up mandos left versus right sort of thing? Or one day you have to throw to the left of the mando, the other day maybe even a completely different mando, or the mando switches to maybe you have to now throw to the right and that changing up the hole. What are your thoughts? So this was similar to your take. I believe it was in last week's debate night where you yeah. talked about like teeing off a little bit farther to the left or farther to the right, but changing up the Mando where mm-hmm. day one, you allow people to go up and over or whatever. Day two, you have to go through the tunnel and then day three, you have to go up and over or I don't know how you want to do it. You probably wouldn't want to change it all three times, but I more just brought that in because I thought it was a good point of an easy way where you don't yeah. have to put more tees in or more baskets, but it can drastically change how courses play. Because there's several yeah. there's several ones that have like split fairways, and you can just say day one you're going down the left, day two you're going down the right. And I think mandos are are something that can. I think, correct me if I'm wrong, but they were when I first got into the sport, I was always told mandos basically were set in place by like you know, the, the city or whatever to prevent people from like throwing over parking lots or, you know, basically doing something to where they didn't want discs to fly. But I don't necessarily think that's, they need to be like used that way. Like I think Mandos are a really good way to make a hole that would be fairly easy, a lot more difficult. Mm -hmm. And as long as it's, it's easy for the players, the spectators, everyone involved, as long as it's easy for them um, to see the Mando and know exactly what they're doing, I think it's fine. I don't want to get in a situation like Worlds where we have those type of Mandos where it's like, all right, what the heck? Did that did that go over or under? Like, yeah. it, it needs to be very, very clear whether or not you made or missed the Mando. And... I think that's an easy way of making a hole a lot harder. Yeah, which is it's fascinating because I'm I think if you go far enough back in grip locked episodes, like we're talking towards the beginning of grip locked, I think at points I multiple times said Amandos need to only be used for safety. Because I think mm-hmm. that that was the mindset in the sport was Mandos are used to prevent you from throwing over other fairways. You were brainwashed. Anything like that. You were brainwashed. That was the only Mandos I'd seen. And when we saw Mandos that weren't used like that, a lot of times it was used very poorly and it kind of sucked. But nowadays, I'm on the same wavelength as you of like, Mandos can be a very creative way to make courses more difficult or at least like make a course be played ad- as designed to a certain degree. Mm-hmm. I think it's good to have let allow players to have creativity, but there's sometimes where like, a player's creativity can take away from the course design to where it's like on dogwood, for instance, uh, this is probably a bad example, but there's one like par four that went around in like a U-turn and you could go up and over, which is a creative line, but it takes away a lot of the technicality of the hole where you don't have to throw like a flip up forehand and stuff like that, because it's a lot easier to just chuck a backhand up in the air and let it cruise over and that's something where like a mando could be used and immediately change how that whole place for a, a large majority of the field or you know like how he's saying flip the mando from day 1 to 2 and make it where day 1 you got to go down the right gap day 2 you got to go down the left gap or maybe one day you have to hit this tunnel shot and the next day you can you know pick and choose i don't know it's definitely something yeah, where i, I think, think there's a lot to to be played around with 
I think something to think about too with when we were talking about changing the courses and stuff like that. You this can only be done at tournaments where there's one course. Yes. And yes. potentially might only be able to be done at a tournament that's three days. Why? Because if you've ever gone out to a practice round, and if you haven't, you should. Because I think going to I think watching a practice round, like watching a player. And this is, I think, the future of disc golf as well as far as events and stuff. I think eventually, you know, when the events get more built out and stuff and like maybe a Friday ticket to a tournament is $20, but you can go on Wednesday to the practice round for $5, right? Like, I think it's eventually going to be kind of like that where we actually will have spectators at practice rounds. They right now technically you do sometimes have like spectators just be like, Hey, can I just watch your, your round? And for the most part, they're pretty like respectable and like, will stay away. But you know, sometimes you ever, you, you get someone that's like constantly having a conversation with you and you're like, Hey, I'm, I'm trying to, I'm kind of at work right now and like yeah. trying, trying to figure this stuff out. But if you do respect respectfully go and watch a player's practice round, it's pretty fun because you're seeing players try to figure out holes. Mm -hmm. And normally when it comes to like tournament play, we all have the idea of like, this is the disc, this is the shot. Can I execute it? Yeah. But in the practice rounds, you'll see people throw three, four, five, six different discs, forehand, backhand, rollers, all trying to figure out exactly what is the specific disc and shot required. Mm -hmm. And that's the only thing I think could get dicey is if you had like, let's take uh, like a Ledgestone, for example, if Ledgestone was like, Hey, we're going to have different baskets and different pins and all this stuff. We're, we're now, we only have Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday to practice. And we're now practicing holes that we have to practice multiple shots on practice rounds are already incredibly slow. That's, I think, another thing that will eventually have to be addressed is, like, scheduled practice times and also, like, not having six or seven people go out together and, yeah. and do a practice round because those are just things right now that, you know, sometimes can slow down pace of play drastically in practice rounds. But something to think about. No, for sure. Um, those, those are more pros problems and not people listening but just want to give you guys a little like behind the curtain situation of what goes on at practice rounds there you have it um very similar to, to kind of what goes on sometimes in just casual day-to-day -day rounds but uh yeah we do have a quick uh before we go to some uh topics from the chat we i did get an update with a little bit more details from our good friend dust through discord he said eagle is getting an mri for a possible labrum tear nobody knows the results yet so mm. it's not guaranteed what Eagle does or doesn't have. It seems like he's going in for an MRI to tell if it is a possible labrum tear. So, uh, mm. but still everything we said previously, you know, stands true, especially if it does end up being a labrum tear, but just some more information there. So we're not spreading that he has a labrum tear when he actually might not. Uh, so I'm sure Eagle will keep everyone updated on his social media and stuff like that. And, uh, Hopefully, hopefully it's not anything too serious. It's something that he can just continue to, to play through and, and rest up in a, a way that allows him to still be on tour this year. But uh, Silas, do we have some debate topics yeah. from the chat? 
Yeah, all right. So the first one comes from Brandon. He says, the Disc Golf Pro Tour should develop a mini marker with GPS and require players to mark every lie so U-Disc can analyze the data for accurate fairway hits, driving distances, and putting distances. What do you think? Fascinating. I think that's a great idea, by the way. I was going to say, because Trevor has talked about multiple times how, like, the stats would be it'd be much easier. Well, not easier, but it'd be much more interesting on U-Disc if, like, when you're marking a U-Disc ground yourself, you can mark where you are on a map and say, like, this is where throw one landed, this is where throw two landed. And Trevor's like, it'd be so much cooler to be able to follow a player like that. And U-Disc just needs to just change their app a little bit because when you tap off the fairway, if, like, a player is clearly in the woods on the map, then you know it is what it is. But if you could sync it with a GPS mini, I mean, that'd be... That just kind of fixes where you don't even really you need someone for live scoring to get when the bat when the disc is in the basket but beyond that you wouldn't even really need fairway hits and stuff like that only thing is players would have to mark their disc every throw and some players don't want to do that the other thing the other thing that they could do is again this is futuristic of down the road because we don't have enough coverage just yet but eventually we are going to be playing in threesomes and eventually we are going to be playing in twosomes, right? We're not, we're not going to stay in these foursomes for the eternity of disc golf. It's just not going to happen. It's not sustainable. Uh, and, um, why are you so certain of that? We mean, why am I so certain? Cause I think the only reason that we don't have it right now is the fact of, uh, we have FPO and MPO both going off the same day on a lot of times the same courses and we don't have enough cameras. Mm. So if you do two sims right now, the the amount of people you would be able to shots wise that you'd be able to see is going to be cut in half. Gotcha. If they have, if they have 25 cameras on the course, yeah. you're going to see tons. You're going to see plenty of shots. But isn't there something to be in, said about two sims or four sims? Isn't there what? something to be said for like people watching in person? For on twosomes versus foursomes, like now the the spectators in person, you're gonna you might have less people show up to watch a card that's just, you know, we'll put Eagle and uh, Adam Hammes versus but that's, if that's it's Eagle, like, Adam, that, Paul, that's Rick. But if it's if it's uh if it's a three day tournament, that'll only be the final day, and if yeah. it's a four day tournament, that'll only be on the weekend. Yeah. So it's not it's not like you know you'll they'll be in threesomes probably the rest of the tournament uh, the, the first couple days, but to me too, like if I'm watching, if obviously this could happen in two sims too, right. Where like someone basically is just like playing terrible yeah, and the other person's up. playing good, but there's way higher percentage that someone in a foursome group on the lead card is just playing bad. Yeah. And so like that is, I don't know to me, it'd be way cooler as a spectator to watch like two guys go back and forth, like Gannon and drew, for example, like when they were in that, when, when they were in the, uh, the playoff, yeah. Like imagine if that was just like the last, like four holes of regulation. And those two guys are just by themselves going back and forth. It's, it's weird when it's like, you got other people, especially too, with how the coverage is currently, of where basically like if people, if the lead card is like tapping out or like throwing their putts, they pretty much stay for all the putts. Yeah. 
Isn't they are the, getting better though at not showing people when they like eliminate themselves. Correct. Right. Yeah, you're not having to but, watch it as much. Yeah, you're seeing but, a lot more golf this year. But just as far as logistics wise, and like play, and like not having as many backups and all that stuff, like twosomes, like to me, it's like man, if you could, let me see, I can look up because UDISC is actually doing a cool thing now where it's like you actually have your like official scorecard put in. So oh, I can to your see. Rounds. That's pretty cool. Yeah. So Belton was three hours and four minutes. That's not bad. Uh, three hours, three. Yeah. So Belton was three hours, but when you think about it, we, you know, we took, let's see here. Hold on. I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you a good, good uh, Brody, stat here. Isn't that doubling the time though, that it's taking for the, cards to finish no it'd be it'd be no because you're only going to be watching silas you're only gonna be watching like the coverage wouldn't start no he's saying like like, for tournament the leaders start going off tournament wise just in general tournament wise you would the field would be smaller a but also you wouldn't have to wait 10 minutes between cards because there's only two people wait what is he talking about like tournaments in general of like people teeing off from like right now let's say people tee off from 8 a.m to 2 p.m now you have twice as many cards to fit into that same slot. If that makes sense. Because you go from you're, four you're people cutting, on the card. You're also, you're also, well, you go from three, you go threesomes to two. Hold on, time out. Hear me out. You go threesomes to twosomes. Yeah. Okay. So right now we're just foursomes every single day. Right. You go threesomes and then you have a cut. And then once you have a cut, you go to twosomes. So basically what you're doing oh, is okay. when the field. So if there's 120 people in the field, when you go to twosomes, there's only 60 people in the field now. You gotcha. cut, like, it's only the people past the cash line. Okay, that makes sense. So it's probably about the yeah. same amount of cards, just there are only two people on each card. Right. Okay. Okay, one, two, wait, so here we go. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18. Okay, 18. So what is that? 18, that's 36. Is that 36? Yeah. I don't know what math you're doing. So, so it took, it took a a three hour round. I only threw 36 shots. What? What? I played, I played a three hour round. Because that's how long Belt was. And I took, I took away all my putts. Yeah. Okay. And I threw 36 shots. Yeah. So in three hours, you got to see 36 shots. Yeah. Um, and and also you got to think too, like there's tons of par threes on this course, so like that's why I think the course played really fast. But wouldn't that require more cameras to follow? No, yeah, it would require a lot well, more. That's why. I, that's why I said it's not. It's futuristic. It's gotcha. down the road of something that's gonna happen. Yeah. But from a player's standpoint, I think players would much rather be able to go out and play a course and and not have, have like a bunch of backups yeah and yeah. the backups are caused because of how many people are on the course at one time and also playing in foursomes yeah 100%. it's, it's yeah. a lot it's a lot harder to create a backup when you have a twosome because it's 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 almost unlikely to have both those two people just being out there having a terrible hole at the same time but when you're in a foursome you could have two people have a really bad hole at the same time, and it's just like a super slow 
log jam. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. No, it makes sense. Yeah. What else we got, Silas? Uh, Any other right, good so ones? So Paul says, uh, when something causes too many injuries in other sports, it is banned in order to protect the athletes. If many are getting hurt throwing 500-foot forehands, could those be eventually illegal? I don't. I don't think so. Because so typically in other sports, it's like uh, a move that's not like crucial. Like you don't see like basketball, they're not going to ban dunking, even though a lot of players get injured dunking. You know, in football, things get banned because it's like a player attacking a player and the way this player is their body or whatever, like targeting, for instance, the way that they're shaping it, it's it's going to be hit harder in some cases or open themselves up or open the other player up for more injuries because of how physical it's being. But in disc golf, the forehand is just a natural motion. And so it's not, it's also a part of the game. So you're, you're not going to see something where you ban this whole massive aspect of the game just because of injury prevention in that aspect, because it's not, it's not necessarily something like I could see certain types of shoes or, certain types of tee pads or stuff like that where it doesn't affect the the essence of the sport being banned, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, but when it comes to forehands, I think it's way too big of a part, and there's way too many people who don't get injured throwing forehands so that it's not a common enough thing right now to, to ban it, I don't think. Yeah. I don't know if Brody has anything on that. Yeah, I mean, you can't ban what people throw. Yeah. Because, yeah. I, I mean, I think you could see... If we're banning anything, it should be the tomahawk. That's also fair. Because that, that opens you up for a lot more injuries, <laughs> and it's kind of a, a more well, silly throw. Well, I was just throw. saying it's a cheat throw. Yeah, yeah, it's a more silly throw. But, I mean, I think if anything gets quote-unquote banned, I think you'll see more in players' contracts, more restrictions placed on them as to what they can do extracurricular-wise. Uh-huh. But that's not really necessarily the sport banning something. That's just that's you just might see sponsor. manufacturers protecting their players mm-hmm. when it comes to like excess things outside of the sport. Well, you can also might yeah. put them open to injury. They can also do that too by saying like, "Hey, you have this guaranteed money, but it's guaranteed when you hit this, this, and this." So it could be something like, "We'll guarantee you a hundred thousand dollars if you play." in 20 events but if you only play in 10 events then you're only guaranteed fifty thousand dollars you know like there's there's different things in place like that too that you can you can make it to where players um want to obviously take care of their bodies and stuff yeah uh let's see we got one here from aaron and he says um you could fix the log jam uh, by just not having MPO and FPO at the same course slash tournament. What do you think about separating the two fields? Well, the log jams also would be way more, uh, will be, would be partic- particularly fixed too if they did, um, if they did tee times the first day. Again, like obviously when you cut the field after a cut, the log jams practically go away because then you can actually space people out a little bit more and like half the people are on the, the course. Yeah. But if you had people go off on hole one and on hole nine at the same time, if you did that, then that also would, uh, if you did like morning rounds and afternoon rounds and you did that, basically what ends up happening is you, any, any backups that occurred in the morning, uh, rounds, 
would just basically reset for the afternoon rounds because everyone gets off the course. So you wouldn't get a situation where sometimes, you know, there's a backup early in the morning and it just continues to get worse and worse and worse and worse and worse throughout the day to where this, it would basically eliminate that backup and restart fresh in the afternoon. So that's something too that it would be interesting to see if they start messing around with as well as, is having people go off hole one and hole nine at the same or hole one and hole 10 at the same time. Yeah, no, that definitely was something that was fascinating the first time you brought it up to me. I never, I had never heard of that idea, but in regards to the MPO and FPO and like that being part of what caused backups and like, is, does that something that needs to be addressed? I think right now, logistically, no, because the problems that it saves having that work are i feel like much more numerous if that makes sense to where it it makes more sense to have some backups caused by that if that is what causes backups um to allow like players to still tour together to allow coverage to still be able to cover both at the same time because like right now if you were to split the pro tour and you were to have a ldgpt and a dgpt or however they called it the resources would essentially have to almost double as far as camera crews and stuff like that go to provide the same quality coverage that we're having right now of both mm-hmm. at, at, at the same time. So it's either going to be they're happening at alternate weekends and there's more travel involved for the Pro Tour or whatever, but then there's also going to be a lot more travel and headaches that come with from touring people right now. I do think eventually it'll separate, but I think it'll separate more so because the FPO field gets so large that the areas just can't accommodate two fields of 120 players but at that point then it'll be a lot easier for the pro tour to sustain both tours at the same time um we have have we talked about cuts have we have we had that discussion of of pro cuts versus not having cuts at tournaments i mean we've had it but we've had that we've talked about it a few different times mainly whenever there's a cut at a tournament we talk about how good that was oh okay but i mean i still i think there should be a cut at every tournament yeah, I agree. I don't I think that the cuts just make it just makes more sense when you look at it. There's obviously the only negative I've ever seen to cuts is players who are on that bubble of like they if they played one more round they might be able to cash, but you can't just take that one possible scenario and then just ignore all of the benefits that come from well, cuts because the, of one little well, thing. The, yeah, the 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 other argument though is like w- couldn't you make the same argument of where it's like, if it's a three day tournament, you can be like, well, if it was a four day tournament, those people that were on the bubble of cash and could have cashed. I mean, it's the same, it's argument, the same argument of where, yeah. like if you, if you set in place, like, Hey, at every three day tournament and at every four day tournament, there's going to be a cut after two days. And if you don't make the cut, you don't cash. If like, if that is, everyone knows that going in, then you can't feel sorry for someone that was missed the cut by one shot. Why are not all tournaments like that? What's that? Why are not all tournaments like that? Like, I I have no idea. A big reason is simply because, I mean, I think it's a big reason is just because, like, in disc golf, so many people who aren't touring pros would and still, to this point, sometimes travel out to play these pro tours and national tours and stuff to where, like, if you commit your whole weekend to go to illinois to play in ledgestone as and play on the pro tour quote unquote in years past but the, they that's don't not the case home. anymore though. i know but i'm saying i think that's where the logic came from in the past 
But, so but I think I'm that now it's gone now. So yeah. now what is what's keeping it? It's probably just that same logic as to like the same people are still running those tournaments. It's not like the people magically changed just because the field did. So like it's still that same mindset of like we don't want people. I mean, I upset. definitely, I definitely understand the whole like, hey, I'm going to play in this like this amateur dodgeball tournament, and you know, I'm planning on being out there. The, the tournament is going to be Thursday through Sunday. It would suck to go out there and get cut on Friday, and now I'm just like randomly in this play. Like that would suck if it's like an amateur tournament. It's like I want to play the whole time. Yeah. But like when this is like your job and everyone knows like you're there to make money, it's not like a fun thing. Like you're not, it's not like you're going on a trip and all of a sudden your trip is cut short. Like you're there to make money. And then I, I would say also the other thing too, and I think we discussed about this too, is it's going to get to the point too where there are some pros and it's happening this year very, very fast, faster than I thought it was going to be of where there are some high name pros that in the past you would be shocked if they were like outside the top 30, right? Yeah. There are, there are people every week now that aren't cashing mm -hmm. that you'd be like, Oh man, I can't believe that guy didn't cash. Yeah. Like it's getting to the point. The silver series was a little bit different because we had like 30 people or so at the bottom of the field that, you know, didn't have really a chance to cash, but like this tournament, Texas States, there, there's not that many people in the field that don't have a chance to cash. So like, if you have an off, if you have an off week and you don't play well, you're not going to cash. Yeah. So back in the day, if you had like a bad round, yeah, sure. You could fight back and get back into the cash line because you're beating out a bunch of, uh, scrubs. But now if you have a bad round, it's like, you're so far out of cashing that it's, it's nearly impossible for you to fight back and cash. And so I think a lot of pros are going to be like, yo, like instead of me like staying around here for an extra day to try to like win 200 bucks, like let me just go on to the next tournament and start practicing and start working. Cause that's the other thing too. If you're, if you're not cashing at these tournaments, it's, it's because you didn't play well. So that means you have to work on something. And I think you'd much rather have instead of another tournament day of going in being like, gosh, my throw sucks or my putt sucks. Like, I think you'd much rather have that day to, like, actually work on do what, field is, work or what you're struggling at. Yeah. Makes yeah. sense. No, that's good. Uh, let's take one more, Silas. Oh, one more. Pick a good this, one. This has to be a good one, then. Uh, do, 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 do. Apparently, let's there's no good ones. See. Silas hates all the topics. No, they're just... Mm. It, it's either stuff we've already talked about or it's just not good man sorry silas is julius caesaring all these comments oh I'm he just not. hates them all right here's hey, one. Oh, God. oh what are you gonna say no go okay <laughs> no 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 not important <laughs> okay fuel rampage says do you guys think discs will get to a point where the pdga needs to update their disc approval regulations at all and also another side question is um do you ever think that the pdga will ban a disc from being thrown that happens all the time the turbo putt you can't you can't <laughs> throw the turbo putt anymore you can't throw i think the aerobi epic might still be but it's went through like spurts where people have said it's not pga legal 
Oh, yeah, there, there's yeah been, that's right. There's been there's been discs before that that have been previously. What the heck is the turbo putt? It's a putter that has like ridges for your fingers all around the edge, so you can turbo putt it easier. Oh, heck yeah! And has a spiral oh, on the bottom yeah. for grip, so you put your thumb into the spiral and you can like fully grip it like you're a, a football or something. Then you spin. So we you're we have some about here. The disc, right? The not disc. The, no, 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 no. Not the motion. Form. The actual not disc. The... There's a disc called a turbo putt. Gotcha. I've been the turbo heck putter. Yeah. We have we have two of them. Trevor and I did a challenge with them once. That sounds awesome. Yeah, they're incredible. They're fast. Why have I never tried that? That sounds so much fun. It's a lot of fun. But yeah, they, they've banned discs before. But I think that as disc golf continues to evolve, obviously disc design technology, disc material, all of that will continue to evolve. And with that, I'm sure the PDGA technical standards on what's approved and what's not will evolve. But I don't know the T- the PDGA's technical standards of like what's approved for a disc enough to know like oh this one's definitely going to change. I think that their regulations on how they regulate it like I think there's going to be more rules implemented because right now from what I understand do you, you send think a disc it's in, too easy to to I, get I, a disc approved? I I don't know if it's too easy to get a disc approved. I think it's too easy to cheat the system after if that makes sense. Cuz like from my understanding if you send a disc in it gets approved then you're kind of on your own. So, like, if I send a disc in, and one of the things they test is the stiffness, right, of the plastic that you send it in. If I send a disc in, it's in a gummy plastic, and they loved it, it's great, it's PGA approved, then, like, what's stopping me when I when I get that PGA approved to now make it in the most PDGA illegal stiff plastic you've ever seen in your life? <laughs> or, like, what's stopping me from making it way too overweight and just being like, oh, well, we'll see if someone catches me because there's no, like... From what I understand, there's no like worry at manufacturers of the PDGA could show up and random test our manufacturing yeah, process like today. The, the next OSHA. I I mean, technically, the heck is that Silas? I guess you know, like the people like in well, construction, not, not really like... OSHA because it's just it, it's just if you're like if it's eligible for playing in tournaments, yeah, like yeah, it's yeah, not yeah. like stopping you from making it or fining you two hundred fifty thousand dollars if you're not wearing a harness. It's just <laughs> basically yeah saying, because. Like, Basically, if, if Discraft wanted to, they could make an illegal disc, and people could exactly. buy it. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. Right. And you it just wouldn't be able to use it. No, you could even use it because you wouldn't know. It happened with destroyers no, you, a few a little bit ago. No, 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 no. I'm saying you couldn't legally use correct. it in PDGA sanctioned events. Correct, correct. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So if it, like uh, Gateway, for instance, makes a, a training putter that's like 300 grams. Yeah, that's not legal to be used, and they advertise it's not legal to be used. But they can still make that disc. There's nothing stopping them from making that. But what I'm saying is, like, right now, there's nothing stopping Discraft from making a Luna that's 200 grams and just selling it and it being PDGA approved mold and all of that or whatever, as long as they advertise yeah, it the right I, way. If there's no testing at the tournaments and stuff, then yeah. really. Well, I think, you I, can I think before, before using... the tournaments, it should be like at the manufacturers, you show up and you test the plastic. That's being that these discs are being produced in at that current time. No, like, no, you got yeah. no. Uh, How? No. Why? No. Why? We mean why? What do you mean no? N- no, you gotta test it when the person. If we're if we're if we're like legitimately doing this, there needs to be like. I mean, this is this is a, a completely different topic, but. Again, this is not for random C tiers and B tiers and A tiers. I'm talking about the Pro Tour. Yeah, like, but this is the PDGA's sanctioning and, and testing. You got it. So this is you got to do random testing, so people know. Like, I have an illegal disc in my bag. I, 
and they know that they're taking a risk that they could show up and and get fined. I think that's important. Disc in their bag. I think that's important but, on the pro tour more so for modified disc. How what, what are you going to do? You have the P, you have someone from the PDGA every single every single day that these companies are making discs just sit there and test. Their no, discs? I think you randomly show up and just make sure that KC Pro didn't get a little too stiff. So I mean, I guess you could theoretically. I guess you could theoretically do that, but I'd. Why would you just randomly do it at like the actual event? Well, because this the PDGA is concerned more than just the Pro Tour. The PDGA standards are for C tiers, B tiers, A tiers, NTs, majors. Oh, everything. I see what you're saying. So the okay, PDGA is concerned yeah, about yeah, more yeah, than yeah. just that. I see what you're saying. The I Pro don't Tour, think they actually care. No, I don't, I don't think so either. Think I don't care. think they, I don't think so either. But the Pro Tour would be the one that implements what you're saying. I think that's a yeah, good yeah, thing. Yeah. That's because, what like, I'm saying is I think the, the Pro Tour is the only people that are really going to care if there's actually illegal equipment being correct, used. Correct. I what's don't think stopping, the PDGA cares at all. I think they just yeah. want their paycheck. Because also what's stopping a player from, let's say, getting a disc in and it's not quite beat to where they want it, so you just take sandpaper to it, modify it up to get it to flip the way they want it or whatever. Clearly PDGA illegal by all rules, but... Uh, again, what's stopping them? Because why? Why? Why wouldn't you be able to do that? Would Would a disc fly further if it was heavier? It'd be able. It'd be more resistant to wind. Technically, it flies okay. farther if it's. You You would think it flies farther if it's lighter, ideally. But I don't. I don't know all the physics behind it. But like, okay, so you're saying like, if I had an overstable disc at 175 grams, and I was throwing into a stiff headwind. If I was somehow able to add like 10 grams to the bottom of the disc, it could theoretically fight through the wind better. It's going to be, it's, right? gonna, it's more so for crosswinds than anything, but it's going to be bullied less by the wind because like a yeah, hundred, because that was the same thing with yeah. like the ultra star ultra star is 175 grams. And then they have this other disc. I don't know what it's called, but it was 200 grams and it definitely was way easier to throw when you went to the beach, the 200 yeah. gram one. Yeah, exactly. Than the Ultra Star. Yeah, but that's what I'm saying. It's like, there's nothing stopping a player right now. Uh, is there a such thing as a lead sharpie? I don't know. I don't know. A lead sharpie? Just like color like a lead. sharpie that, like, a sharpie that, like, think of like a sharpie, but it, it, it puts like liquid liquid lead. Yeah. Then And then it, and then it like, uh, makes it heavier. Yeah, it makes Maybe it you're you know, onto it, something, it, man. It dries on your disc and then it makes it heavier. Yeah. Alfred bring up a good point, uh, Brody. How do they do it in the PGA? Like how did he how do they regulate golf balls or golf clubs? I think I think they do random testing and then I also think uh players can like call other players out to get tested. Gotcha. Um uh, I'm not hundred percent on all that. That's something that you can probably easily look up, but I'm not hundred percent. Uh real quick. I don't know if we're wrapping up the show, but something that I do want to talk about is how freaking hard it is to move up in the world rankings. My goodness. In the UDISC world rankings. Have you heard have you heard of well, the universe? PDJ wants have you heard of the, the universe PDJ rankings? ones haven't come out yet. Correct. What? Have you heard of the universe rankings? Yeah, I, I heard you guys' podcast. It. <laughs> someone made it someone made it it's out what are you talking about someone made it you want me to read them to you 
No, no. Wait, who, someone did it. I didn't hear someone made it. I think yeah. you guys just talked about it. You can go to... Yeah, no. Someone did it after our podcast. They made it exactly the way we described. It's beautiful. So what they did, they, they did an average... They did an average of PDGA, UDISC, and Statmando? Yes, I believe so. And they might okay. have thrown UltiWorld in there, too. You can go to DiscGolfUniverseRankings.com. It has the beautiful no, galaxy. No, they yeah. made a website? Yeah, it's the galaxy background, just like we talked, just the most boring, basic website you can imagine. It's it's perfect. So the top 10 MPO go Paul McBeth, Ricky Wysocki, <laughs> Eagle this McMahon, Chris Dickerson, Calvin Heimberg, Kyle Klein, Drew Gibson, Matty O, Adam Hammes, Nate Sexton. So that's the universe ranking. Again, much more sophisticated. Uh, FPO, we have Katrina Allen, then Kristen Sitar. Paige Pierce, Evelina Salonen, Haley King, Valerie Mandahano, Henna Blomroos, Missy Gannon, Sarah Hokum, Owen Scoggins. <laughs> it doesn't it doesn't go all the way down. So maybe that'll come in the, in the Gen 2 update. Well, but yeah, you my, know. my guess is this person did this by hand. Probably. So Probably. There's no way that they didn't make an algorithm or something to do it. So there's no, they, they were like, all right, we're stopping at 10. Hey, but, the, but it happened. Sick. The Disc Golf Universe that. rankings. One one ranking to rule them all exists, but, but no, I yeah. In the U disc, in U disc, it is. I think it's easier. I, I don't. I don't. Full, I think it, it. Obviously, it all depends on who you beat and who beats you each given week. But it is. It is. It does seem kind of crazy. I'm. I'm still having a hard time wrapping my mind around like how much some players move and how little other players move. What are you talking about? Like there's some players that I just don't think that many people. I just don't think you move that much. No, some players will move like thirty spots. No. Yes. Who, I'll, I'll pull you it up right here. Up like two, two spots, right? I moved up one spot. No, I moved up two spots. Yeah. Let me find someone. Like Aaron Gossage went up ten. Chandler Fry went up thirteen. There was definitely someone who went up a ton. Maybe it was after well, Vegas. Chandler Fry had a top. Chandler Fry had like a top five, didn't he? Gavin Babcock went up fourteen. Well, where 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 is he at right now? Gavin Babcock. Uh, yeah, well, what, what, um, I've, he's in ninety oh, third. Well, he, he was like a hundred. He was over a hundred. Yeah, when you're super low and you have a high finish like he did, you're gonna move up a lot. Yeah, I'm saying I'm getting I'm getting up to the point. I'm getting closer and closer to the point of where it's like, I need to get, I need to get like some top fives. Yeah. You, you, to if move I up a lot, like you move, need to, I got to get some top five. I think Luke like, Humphries. If I just get a top 15, I'm going to, I'm going to move like three or four spots. Yeah. I think Luke Humphreys was the one that moved crazy far up. I think he moved like 20 well, something. But, but he got like second at a tournament. Yeah. Back to back, back to back, really good finishes. Yeah. Yeah, that uh, that's not su- that's not surprising. That's not surprising to me. I'm saying it's very difficult if you're like if you're if you're in that like 40, not 40. If you're in that 50 to like 80 spot, like you got to finish high to move Which a is lot. a good thing, right? Yeah. Like uh, I I got 16th. I should not be nearly rewarded as much as someone that got a top 10. Yeah. And Someone that got a top 10 should not be rewarded as much as someone that got a top five. It makes a lot of sense. I'm just saying, you know, I was, I was like, oh man, did I, did I get close? Am I getting close to 50? And then I like looked and I was like, I moved up two spots. 
And yeah. I passed someone that didn't even show up at the tournament. I yeah. passed Tristan. He wasn't even at the tournament. It just, it all just depends on who you beat. I think that's a, I think that's all. Well, it. I beat a lot of people. I beat a lot of people. I think it more matters about like, I don't think it matters as much as who you beat as it does like how far up you go. Yeah, I, I beat a lot of I I beat a lot of people. But it might it might also mean like who beat you too? Because if there's a lot of people that are like around you that beat you. It, it might not, it might balance out who you beat. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, but like who beat me in the last tournament that was like ranked lower than me? I don't know. Did anyone? Like, did Gavin Babcock? He jumped pretty high. Oh, we tied. There you go. Can't be doing that, man. Boy, I, boy, uh, you want to move I'm up not. in the world rankings? You can't be doing that, dude. <laughs> well he did birdie the last hole i was standing there it was nasty dang the last hole is a tough hole to birdie and he like parked it and i was like dang nice nice that's pretty impressive all right well there you but, have it. how are you feeling headed into texas states you've said you like the course you're feeling uh, pretty good about everything you know i'm feeling my game's feeling i'm i'm feeling good like i said if i can if i can put together around where my my throws and my putts are both feeling good I can I can compete with anyone out there. It's it's too and I've been lucky enough to have the opportunities to be on some of these feature cards. And the only other the other the only other tournament, well, I guess OTB, I was up there a little bit, but the only other tournament, Las Vegas, I was up there too, and Goat Hill. Yeah. So there's been a couple of tournaments where I've had like good first rounds to where I've like put myself in the mix to where I'm playing with like the top guys that are playing well that week it's it is very advantageous to be putting yourself in those positions because you're able to see where some of your weaknesses are mm-hmm. and what they're doing well that you're not doing and trying to figure out like some holes in your game but i'm at the point now where it's like i'm good enough to where i if i'm if i'm playing well i can compete with anyone and the other thing that I feel very good about too is like I'm still fat, I'm still not in good shape, and I had an absolute terrible off season, and I'm also just in my you know just past two years of playing disc golf. Yeah. So like, my thought is like if I'm here now, I'm very excited to see where I'm going to be in the next couple of years because. Unless you drastically change a lot of things about yourself, like what you're doing, unless you drastically change a lot of things, if you've been playing disc golf for 15 years, like you're not really getting that much better unless yeah. you're drastically changing stuff in your game. Does mm. that make sense? No, yeah, it makes perfect sense. So I feel good. I feel good. And and it's I'm telling you right now, it is fun competing out here because it really does feel like getting top 25 at these tournaments. It's like it's tough. It's not like last year I, I snuck in a top 25 at a couple of these tournaments and there's no way I played nearly as good as I'm playing now. Yeah. No. And that's why also ratings are stupid. <laughs> well, there you have it. What a great way to end today's episode. <laughs> uh, we'll be back next week. Same time, same check place. Your rating updates. Uh, check and be updates. sure to check out to get ready for texas states be sure to check out on thursday the grip locked preview for texas states will go over we have actually a lot of insight in the course because we got to play it so that'll be nice and we'll also go over all the storylines keys to winning out there and everything you'll need to know to get ready for the live coverage and post-produced coverage coming at you from texas states this upcoming weekend 
What did you guys play? Did you guys play what course individually? We played, played the Pro Tour the individually. Layout? Yeah, the Safari individually, and then we did a four-man scramble on Dogwood. Am I going to be impressed with the the with how you guys play? You're going to be impressed with one of us. You'll be impressed with one okay. of our, one of our play. One of our play was very impressive. The other one of our play <laughs> was impressive at times, and at other times was very depressing. We'll put it. We'll put it. Okay. That way. What? Okay. Here's a good question. Yeah. The person that played well. Yeah. Actually, give me both. This is actually this is actually good. Okay. What after day one? Okay, so after Friday at Texas States, if you guys because you guys played in decent winds, because it's gonna be kind it was of very windy. windy. It was very windy. Well. Okay. What place do you think the person that played well would be in the tournament, and what place do you think the person that played bad would be in the tournament? There are, I believe, a hundred and thirty. I think there's 133 people or something like that in the field. I'll say the person that played well, I'll put that person in. It's tough to know how much, how well everyone's going to score out there. I'm going to put them in like 50. I think, I think the leader is going to be sub, sub double digits. You don't think anyone's shooting double digits? I don't think so. Okay. So I'll put them in like 35th then or 35th to 50th, uh, somewhere in there. And the person that played bad, how many people are in the field? <laughs> one thirty-three. That person. That are person's some, gonna like... be one thirty. One thirty. Okay, so they beat three. They people. beat three people. <laughs> yeah, I, I think they beat three people. If they were able to kind of like keep things together down the stretch, they might have been able to sneak in the top hundred. But we'll we'll put it that way. What I think one okay. of us one of us is in probably top fifty. The other person might as well not have shown up to the tournament. Those last three, ter- those last three holes are tough. It was those last the, uh, three holes are very tough. The hole that really changed everything was hole uh, fifteen, I believe, through the gap. The uphill, the uphill Up- hole with the OB on the softball field on the right. Yeah, you gotta go through a gap first, and there's a softball field, and then the basket's oh, like around geez. the back of the softball field. Massive left to right crosswind, so. I don't think I need to say much more than that. A lot, a lot of things went bad for someone on that hole, but you'll have to watch the video to see exactly oh, what I'm talking. It's very, I can't wait. I believe it's very sure entertaining. You guys, pick up the Bogey Bros hats too. I don't know yeah. how many of these we have. Uh, but, uh, yeah, not not too many, but we will run them again if they if they're popular. We'll run them again. There's two different colors. There's the white one that I'm wearing right now, and uh, then there's the the light blue one too. So yep. make sure you go and grab. Uh, some Bogey Bros merch. And check out the, the well. first Bogey Bro battle coming out hopefully within the next hour. Super mm. exciting time. Wait, but... when is the video when is the video from Texas States coming out? Thursday. Okay. Thursday. So okay. right right before it starts, the day before, give everyone a chance to see two mere mortals play the course before uh the pros get a shot at it. <laughs> but it's a good time. You're not gonna want to miss it. So be sure to check out both of those videos out. And other than that, we'll talk to you all next week.